today on Bad and the Boondocks, we're going to talk about J.C. Lee Dugard, as well as the tragic death of Kelly Bates. This is Bad and the Boondocks, baby. Before we get into today's cases, I just want to give a shout out to our friends. Anyway, How's Your Sex Life podcast. It is a true crime and mystery podcast. It's rather quite funny, actually. Um, So go check them out. And right now, I'm going to let you hear a little bit about their podcast from them. Hey sluts, I am Channa. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Anyways, How's Your Sex Life? Join your fellow true crime buffs and horror addicts as we share weekly stories of murder, demonic possession, and nocturnal apparitions. So grab your spirit boards, light some candles, and listen to our true crime and supernatural podcast with a comedic queer twist. You can now find us on Spotify, Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Also, you can like us on Instagram and Facebook or follow us on Twitter at A-H-Y-S-L podcast or anyways, how's your sex life? Hope to flirt with you soon. Bye. Bye. All right. Hey, and welcome to Bad in the Boondocks. As always, I am Stan. And I'm Jeru. And I hope y'all like our new little theme music. I'm quite digging it myself. Yeah. All right. Don't forget, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend. Hell, go out there, broadcast us on the streets. Oh, yeah. Um, Leave us some reviews, though, and definitely some five-star ratings. Definitely. Yep. All right. Not a lot of business going to talk about before we start today. I think I want to get right on into it. Is that okay with you, Mr. Drew? <laughs> That's fine. All right. <laughs> oh, well, I get to go first this time. Good whoop, for whoop. you. Good for you. Whoop, whoop. I am going to do the torture and the murder of Miss Kelly Ann Bates today. Really? Have you ever heard of her? Kelly, I think I have. Okay, well, tell me about her. I don't, I don't know anything about her. I just heard her name. Okay. <laughs> Fun fact for you. Okay. Here we go. First love. It's always the sweetest until it's not. Or is it? I don't know. Kelly Ann Bates gave it all to her first love, even her life. Kelly Ann Bates was born on May 18th of 1978 in Hattersley, England, United Kingdom. Her family was always very close and described Kelly as confident, independent, mature for her age. So it wasn't a big surprise when, at age 14, she told her parents she had a boyfriend named Dave. Oh, Dave. that's where the trouble began. K. 
Kelly often babysat for families in her area. While on one particular babysitting job, she met James Patterson Smith. James was 45 and smitten with 14-year-old Kelly. She decided to keep many aspects of their relationship a secret, thinking her parents wouldn't understand. Wow. When she told them about Dave, as he was known by her, they assumed he was a boy, probably from school around the same age as her. Definitely not. You saw a picture of him? No, I uh, <laughs> Kelly and James got along great. He was her first boyfriend, I meant, but I don't really think he's a boyfriend, more like a middle-aged a man, man friend. <laughs> yeah, for real. And it wasn't long before she began to look for ways to spend more time with him. She started sneaking out at night, sometimes not returning home until the next morning. Sometimes not returning home for two days at a time. Wow. Feigning concern, Dave began calling her home, speaking to her mother about Kelly's activities. Instantly, her mother felt she had an ally. Mm -hmm. A couple of weeks later, Kelly brought Dave home to meet her parents. When her first... When her father saw him and saw that he was much, much older than he had expected, he asked his daughter, He's a bit older than you, Kelly. Are you sure that's what you want? First of all, I would say, this dude is like 45 looking 65. Exactly. Get your 14-year-old tail to your room. For real. Because they're just like asking her, is that what she wants? Yeah. I would have been with older people anyway, Kelly answered. Wow. She had grown up around older people, even played hockey with girls in college. She was too mature for kids her own age. She told her parents he was only 32, so not too much older. Okay, he oh, doesn't wow. look anything like 32. Yeah, but 32 I is don't care. I, know, I understand, but he doesn't look nothing kind of 32. What, 18 years older? Yeah, well... As her mother caught sight of Dave coming down the stairs, she had a different reaction. Quote, As soon as I saw Smith, the hairs on the back of my neck went up. I tried everything I could to get Kelly Ann away from him. Unquote. Hmm. Her mother began asking around, trying to find, find out if anyone knew Dave Smith, age 32. But no one had ever heard of him. It was as if he didn't exist. Her parents could have forbade her from seeing Dave. However, they took some pride in the independence and confidence that she had and opted to allow the relationship for now. Wow. Even after Dave admitted to them that he was actually 48. Oh my God. <laughs> one year older than Kelly's dad. Wow. And if you would like to just take a glance she at the picture of him. He look, I'm not going to lie to you. He looks like he's about 70. Over the next few months, Kelly continued to see James off and on. He was charming, and Kelly felt good about the attention that he gave her. Knowing Kelly had lied to her parents, not once, but multiple times, he used that to drive a deeper wedge between her and her family. She no longer felt like she could reach out to them and let them know what was happening with her relationship when she had done so much to make them happy with it. After being with him for a year, 
she began staying over with him on weekends, Friday to Sunday. He would call and check on her constantly, exuding his control over her. This interest in her made Kelly feel that he truly loved her. He really cared to check on her more than ever her family did. By age 16, she is spending even more time with him at his home, not even bothering to call her parents. When she returned home, they almost did not recognize her. She was dirty. Her hair was dirty, greasy, uncombed. Her clothes were filthy. Her posture had eroded. Her head was always down, chin touching her chest. Her mother put her foot down and told her, If you don't like the rules we're setting, you've got to let us know where you are. Let us know you're all right. The next time you do it, you can go. I'll be kicked out of the house. Well, Kelly chose to leave. A few days later, she returned home to pack her things up. When her mom walked in, she found that one side of her face was completely black. One solid bruise. Dang. Kelly claimed she had been jumped by some girls. She begins to notice other injuries as time goes on. There were fingertip bruising around her neck, bite marks on her arms. She always claimed that she fell or even tripped up. Her mother contacted authorities and asked what she could do. They instructed her to make a doctor's appointment in Kelly's name, then go in and explain what was happening. Then if Kelly ever turns up at the doctor, they will know and be able to assess. Her mother begs her to leave Dave, but Kelly refused. She stopped seeing her mother, telling her she's got a job and had opportunity for overtime. Knowing Kelly enjoyed working, her mother believed her, and they only spoke on the phone from that point. By now, James has complete control over her. She no longer speaks to her family. She sends cards, but she doesn't even sign them, and they're not addressed in her writing. Her brother tries to see her at her home she now shares with James, but James tells him she's not home. When a concerned neighbor asked how she was, he allowed her to be briefly seen through an upstairs window. She now no longer went out. April 16, 1996. James makes his way to the police station, where he calmly tells police, Kelly has drowned in the bath. Police went to her parents' house, and before they could say anything, her mother says he's killed her. Kelly was 17 years old. Police allowed her parents to view her body and demand they tell them what happened. Kelly was held prisoner for weeks, where James took his time torturing her with various types of household items. He burned her all over her body using hot irons and scalding water. Ow, that hurt. He tied her hair to the radiator. When her hair was not tied to the radiator, he tied her hair to the chair or wrapped a ligature around her neck. He broke her arm. He then crushed both of her kneecaps, leaving her debilitated, fully reliant on him. William Lawler, the pathologist who examined her body, said, quote, 
in my career, I've examined 600 victims of homicide, but I have never come across injuries so extensive, unquote. He was also able to determine that Kelly's eyes had been removed approximately three weeks before her death. She had been starved, losing at least 44 pounds, and had not been given any water for several days before her death. The following are her documented injuries. Scalding to her buttocks and left leg. Burns on her thigh caused by the application of a hot iron. Fractured arm. Multiple stab wounds caused by knives, forks, scissors. Stab wounds inside her mouth. Crushed injuries to both hands. Mutilation of her ears, nose, eyebrows, mouth, lips, and genitalia. Wounds caused by a spade and pruning shears. Both eyes gouged out. Stab wounds to her empty eye sockets. Partial scalping. Peter Openshaw, the prosecutor in James's trial, said it was as if he deliberately disfigured her, causing her the utmost pain, distress, and degradation. The injuries were not the result of one sudden eruption of violence. They had been caused over a long period of time and were so extensive and so terrible that the defendant must have deliberately and systematically tortured the poor girl. While police did in fact find her body in a bathtub, they could see that how it got there was no accident. After knocking Kelly unconscious with the shower nozzle, James then had to have forced her head under the water. James claimed that he initially assumed she was playing dead, as she had done so in the past. Are you serious? Yeah. But when the authorities arrived, they found Kelly's blood smeared on the floor. They found Kelly's blood smeared on the walls in every room of the house. Despite the overwhelming evidence of his torture, James maintained Kelly's death happened on accident and that her injuries were self-inflicted. At the trial, James continued to declare his innocence. He claimed Kelly would put me through hell winding me up. He also said that Kelly would taunt him about his dead mother and often hurt herself to make it look worse. When he was asked to explain why he had blinded, stabbed, and battered Kelly, he said that she had dared him to do it. Jillian Metzi, a consultant psychiatrist, told the court that James had a severe paranoid disorder with morbid jealousy and that he lived in a distorted reality. The jury only took one hour to find James Patterson Smith guilty of Kelly Ann Bates' murder. He was sentenced to life imprisonment, serving a minimum of 20 years. Really? This has been a terrible case, a catalog of depravity by one human being upon another. You are a highly dangerous person. You are an abuser of women, and I intend, so far as it is in my power, that you will abuse no more. That is what the judge said to him. 
and that is the murder of Kelly Ann Bates. Wow. That's something. It's something. It's a murder. Yeah, I know. Well, that was pretty good. I try to find good stories. Yeah. Sometimes I get frustrated and it takes me a while, but I usually find some interesting stories. Okay, okay. Well, you want me to get into mine? Is it interesting? I don't know. You'll have to wait and see. You don't know. You'll have to wait and see. <laughs> have you? Well, you don't have to wait and see. You have to wait and hear. Uh-oh. Anyway. Well, then let's go! Okay, okay, okay. My story is on J.C. Lee Dugard. For years, she smiled from her FBI missing child poster, one of those children that had been missing so long no one ever expected her to be found alive. But J.C. Lee Dugard turned up on August 27, 2009, at a California police station 18 years after being abducted. According to authorities, J.C. Dugard was held in captivity for 18 years by a convicted sex offender who kept her in his backyard compound sheltered in tents, sheds, and outbuildings in Antioch, California. Police arrested 58-year-old Philip Garrido, who police say kept Dugard as a virtual slave and fathered two children by her. The children were ages 11 and 15 at the time that Dugard was resurfaced. Wait, how old was she whenever she went missing? Um, I'm not quite sure. Uh, I think she was young, though. She was like, she was young. But, um, Garrido and his wife, Nancy Garrido, were charged with conspiracy and kidnapping. Garrido was also charged with rape and, by force, lewd and lavish acts with a minor and sexual penetration. So she, definitely she was a minor. Greta was on parole from a Nevada state prison on a conviction of rape by force or fear. Oh, great. Yeah, he was paroled in 1999. Dugard's ordeal began to come to an end after California parole officials received a report that Garrido was seen with two young children. They called him in for questioning, but then sent him home with instructions to return the following day. The following day, Garrido returned with his wife, Nancy, and J.C. Dugard, who was going by the name Alyssa, and the two children. After separating Garrido, after separating Garrido from his group so that he could interview J.C., during the interview, J.C. attempted to protect Garrido when the investigators asked if she knew he was a sex offender, but as the interview went on, J.C. became visibly agitated and made up another story about being an abused wife hiding from her husband in the Garrido home. As the interviews became more intensive, J.C. began to show signs of Stockholm Syndrome and began and became angry and demanded why she was being interrogated. Finally, Philip Garrido broke down and told the investigators that he had kidnapped and raped J.C. Dugas. So he tipped. He told them. He, he ended up confessing, yes. 
It was only after his confession that J.C. told the investigators her true identity. None of the children have ever been to school. They've never been to a doctor. El Dorado County Under Sheriff Fred Collar said, They were kept in a complete isolation in this compound, if you will. There was electricity from electric cords, rudimentary outhouse, rudimentary shower, as if you were camping. It is also where J.C. Dugard gave birth to her two children. Authorities said Dugard appeared to be in good, good health when she arrived at San Francisco Bay Area Police Station where she was re, reunited with her mother, who was overjoyed to find her daughter still alive. Also welcoming the news was Dugard's stepfather, Carl Proven, the last person to see her before she disappeared and a longtime suspect in the case. It broke my marriage up. I've gone through hell. I mean, I'm a suspect up until yesterday. yesterday. Proven <laughs> told the Associated Press at his home in Orange, California. Investigators searched the home and property where J.C. Lee Dugar was held captive and expanded their search to an adjacent property looking for cute clues in other open cases of missing persons. Behind the Garrido home, investigators found an area that looked like a tented compound, which is where J.C. and her children lived. Inside, they found a rug spread out in the room with a bed placed on top of it. On the bed, there were several high piles of clothes and boxes. Another tented area also contained clothing, pictures, books, plastic storage containers, and various toys strewn around. There were no modern conveniences except for electrical lighting. Philip and Nancy Garrido pleaded not guilty to 29 counts, including forcible abduction, rape, and false imprisonment. When the Garridos were arrested, J.C. experienced mixed emotions, but with counseling and medical, medical care for herself and her children, she began to understand the terrible things that were done to her. Her attorney, McGregor Scott, said that she was fully cooperating with the investigation because she understood that the, that the Garridos needed to be held accountable for their crimes. Six months after their arrest, Philip and Nancy Garrido filed motions that would allow them to visit each other in jail. That's bullshit. I know it is. What I'm saying is, they raise these kids as their kids, and whatever decision they make with how they were going to proceed in this case is whether they go to trial or don't go to trial is going to affect these kids, Deputy Public Defender Susan Gelman told the court. According to the court papers, Philip Garrido stopped having sex with Dugard around the time that she gave birth to her second child. Afterwards, all five held themselves out to be a family, taking vacations and running a family business together. Attorneys for the Garridos also filed motions asking the prosecution to tell them where J.C. Dugard is living now and the name of her attorney so that they can contact her prior to the trial. 
They also asked that taped interviews conducted by investigators of J.C. and her two daughters be turned over to the defense. Judge Douglas C. Femister. Ha! I think that's how you say it. I'm not sure. I think it's Femister. Ruled that the request to each other during two five-minute telephone calls was not an unreasonable... Was not unreasonable. I think And that he would allow it. I will say, no, sir, you may screw the hell off. (laughs) Anyways... In July 2010, J.C. was offered a $20 million lawsuit settlement by the state of California after it was determined that Philip Garrido was supposed to be under parole supervision during much of the time that he was holding J.C. captive. I mean, I'd say okay. I'd say okay. Oh, I'll take it. I'll definitely take it. But not taxed. No, taxes, not taxed. But I mean, for 18 years of your that's life. That's over a million a year. It's more than I'm making. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. I mean, I know it's horrible and stuff, but still I would accept the $20 million. I, d- I definitely accept the $20 That's million. the least you could do. Oh, yeah. In February 2010, J.C. and her daughters, 15 and 12, filed claims against the Department of Corrections and, Re- and Rehabilitation, claiming the agency failed to do its job in property supervising Garrido. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Although Garrido was under parole supervision from 1999 until his arrest in August 2009, parole officers never discovered the existence of J.C. and her two daughters. The lawsuit also claimed psychological, physical, and emotional damage. And sexual. Yeah. The the settlement was medicated by retired San Francisco County... Mediated. (laughs) Sorry. The settlement was mediated by retired San Francisco County Superior Court Judge Daniel Weinstein. (laughs) Or Weinstein. But that's not even that's not even that's not even better. But anyways. The money will be used to buy the family a home. Ensure privacy, pay for education replace lost income, and cover what will likely be years of therapy, Weinstein told reporters. On April 28, 2011, the Garritos entered guilty pleas for kidnapping and rape. The plea deal spared J.C. Dugard and her two daughters from testifying against Philip and Nancy Garrido. Under the plea deals accepted in a hastily arranged court hearing, Philip Garritos was to Receive a sentence of 431 years to life. 431 years to life. To life. (laughs) To life. Wow. Yeah. Freaking vampire. Yeah. Nancy Garritos, however, was sentenced to 25 years to life. I hate to say it, and I'm sorry for all our female listeners, but that's utter bullcrap because, because I'm just going to say that they give women lighter sentences. Well, like Way in in this in like these type of instances, whenever she knew you know, what was wait, going wait, on, whenever it's like both of them in the crime, they do tend to give women lighter yeah. sentences on it, and that's not very fair. But, I'm I'm a feminist. I say equal rights, equal <laughs> opportunity, <laughs> equal opportunity. Yes. Well, plus in another eleven years. But what's that? The four hundred thirty-one. Two I love the exactly. 
She would be eligible for parole in 31 years. They'll be eligible in 10 years. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Until both defendants entered unexpected not guilty pleas. Oh, my April God. 7th, the That's best, The best deal offered to Nancy Gerudo. What? Was 241 years to life. To life. Why do they keep saying to life? I mean, that's more than we're living nowadays. So she was to be sentenced to that, but I guess... Until she did the not guilty plea thing. Yeah, then she said 241 years to life. Oh, wow. Well, sucks for you. Sucks for her. Never mind. I take it back. (laughs) But anyways, um, on June 3rd, 2011, the Greedos were officially sentenced. The couple made no eye contact with anyone and kept their heads down as J.C.'s mother... Terry Proven read a statement to them from her daughter. J.C. did not attend the sentencing. And I will read that letter right now. I chose not to be here today because I refuse to waste another second of my life in your presence. I've chosen to have my mom read this for me. Philip Garrido, you are wrong. I can never say that to you before. But I have the freedom now, and I am saying that you are a liar, and all your so-called theories are wrong. Everything you have ever done to me has been wrong, and someday I hope that you see that. What you and Nancy did was reprehensible. You always justified everything to suit yourself, but the reality is, and always has been, that you make someone else suffer for your inability to control yourself and for you, Nancy, to facilitate his behavior and trick young girls for his pleasure is evil. This is no God in the universe that will condone your actions. To you, Philip, I say I have always been a thing for your own amusement. I hate every second of every day of 18 years because of you, and the sexual perversions you forced on me. To you, Nancy, I have nothing to say. Both of you can save your apologies in empty words. For all the crimes you have both committed, I hope that you have as many sleepless nights as I did. Yes, as I think of all those years, I am angry, because you stole my life and that of my family. Thankfully, I'm doing well now and no longer live in a nightmare. I have a wonderful I have wonderful friends and family around me. Something you can never take from me again. You do not matter anymore. JC Lee Dugard, June second, two thousand eleven. Insane. Duh. And that's it. That's it. Thank you, thank you. And that has been another episode of bad and boonocks baby <laughs> well um we do love y'all thank you so much for listening just if you could just help us out we're begging you on my knees and hands <laughs> could you really? please rate and review us send us a message and make sure to tell a friend if you ain't got no friends tell a stranger yes exactly just, and go to our just, Patreon page. You can subscribe. You can help keep us independent without advertisements. No ads. Say no to no ads. I mean, say yes to no ads. Yeah. 
But no, just go around and just just tell anybody that you know or that you don't know. It doesn't matter. Right. right. Just tell anybody. Just, just speak tell anybody. really loudly like even I'm if, doing. Even if you don't prefer our type of podcast, still go out. Still and just, go out. Just and say our name. It really does appreciate. Yeah. It. We really it do does appreciate. appreciate it. Yeah. We appreciate it. Okay. Just be like. Have you heard about in the boondocks? It's real, real something. <laughs> <laughs> See, you don't have to be mean to it's say real, real it's real something. something, you know? Exactly. All right. Well, this has been Bad in the Boondocks once again. As always, I've been Stan. And I'm always Drew. See you next time. See you next time. Down, down.